Well, we've been in an eight-week series I've entitled Gold from God. And we've been, uh, we've, first week we talked about the Ten Commandments, and last week we talked about the Beatitudes, and this week we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is uh, the most prayed prayer in the history of mankind. And it has been used in Christian worship ever since the days of the Apostles. And we know that from writings that were written about that time and close to that time. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6 it's found in the middle of a section where the Lord is teaching about prayer. Although it's also found in an abbreviated form in Luke chapter 11. But let's read it together now. Or I don't mean that you should read it. I just mean you should listen to it while I read it. Matthew 6. I'm going to begin in verse 5. And when you pray, again, these are the words of Jesus. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There are six petitions, as I count them, in the Lord's Prayer. But first, let's talk about the introduction and the address of the Lord's Prayer. I'm talking about how the prayer starts in verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Pray like this. We see here that Jesus assumes that his followers are people of prayer, or at least trying to be. The issue is not so much whether they're going to pray, but how they're going to pray. Jesus here also assumes that his people struggle with prayer and need his help and his guidance. But it's important to notice also that Jesus is ready and willing to help those who need help in prayer. 
that Jesus is confident that his precious people can learn to pray. But Jesus doesn't actually say, pray like this. He says, pray then like this. Why does he say, pray then like this? Well, he's referring back to what he's been saying about prayer in the verses before this. And I just want to remind you, I'll read again the two verses before the Lord's Prayer. Verses 7 and 8. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he teaches us how not to pray. There are many people who pray, but their prayers are meaningless and useless. They're just saying words, and God doesn't listen to mere words, no matter how many of them there are. Real prayer is not a form of superstition whereby you try to get what you want by means of certain words or objects or ceremonies. And this actually teaches us about the use, the proper use of the Lord's Prayer. Many pray the Lord's Prayer by rote, though they have no understanding or even concern about what it means. They think that just saying it is what's important. But the Lord's Prayer, like all prayers, it's not a magical formula. It's an inspired guide to teach us how to pray. But some people take what Jesus says in verse 7 and 8 too far and feel like prayer can only be authentic if it's spontaneous. But the Lord's Prayer teaches us that prayer does not need to be spontaneous to be real. I don't mean to say that we should only pray written, prepared prayers like the Lord's Prayer. Spontaneous prayers are also good and helpful and legitimate. Real prayer is communication from the heart of a believer to the ears of God. You can use someone else's words and still say it from the heart. But just saying words isn't Christian prayer. So God doesn't listen when we just say words. Of course, in one sense, God knows and hears everything. But that's not what I mean by him not listening. I mean that mere words don't get to God's heart. They don't weigh on him like the cries of a needy child weigh on the heart of a parent. Prayers which are just words may ring God's phone, but he knows it's only a spam call. But when God's child cries out to him from the heart, God not only hears, he actually hears before that words are even uttered, as Jesus said in verse 8. We don't have to try to get God's attention. He's listening before we're even talking. 
He's listening even to our needs and our thoughts and our desires. Do not be like those outside of Christ when they pray. But rather, he says, pray like this. Now let's look at the address that is our Father in heaven. The first thing about prayer is to recognize who you're praying to. Because you can only approach God properly when you know who he is. And as we learn in the Beatitudes, we need to approach God in humility, in repentance, and in purity of heart. Prayer is not trying to work a deal with God. It's not trying to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. Prayer is the cry of a child on earth to his Father in heaven. Some perceive God as a close friend who's right there with us all the time, always available, and with whom we have a special, intimate, personal, individual relationship. Others perceive God as so completely different than man, so completely other and holy, that we can't even survive in his presence beyond our ability to come that he is beyond our ability to comprehend. And he cannot be fathomed. So big that man in comparison is infinitely small. Well, of course, both of these are correct and need to be understood together if we're going to understand God rightly. And these two concepts of God are brought together in this idea of God as our Heavenly Father or as our Father in Heaven. This implies both the intimacy and the reverence. It maintains a sense of God's closeness without losing a sense of his otherness. He's our daddy, but he sits on the throne of heaven. Intimacy and reverence, closeness and distance. Our father indicates his reverence, his, his nearness, who art in heaven, speaks to his transcendence, his holiness, his majesty, his otherness. Our Father speaks to the family relationship we have with God. In heaven is an expression of exaltation, attributing honor to God by recognizing who he is and where he is. One of the primary postures of prayer in the Bible is lifting up one's hands to heaven. This is a gesture of a child toward his father. It's not a gesture of a servant to his master or a soldier to his commander. If he was not our father, we could not do this. And if God were not in heaven, we couldn't do it either. If God were merely in our hearts, we wouldn't lift up our hands. We just hold our hearts over, hands over our heart. This is where he is. But no, our Father in heaven. Now the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer has six petitions. And I, I combine uh, lead us not into temptation with delivering us from evil, which are really two parts of the same thing, in my opinion. 
So it has six petitions. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So in the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer, there are some, in my opinion, there are some very expected things that we find there. But there are also some very unexpected things. I think, for instance, that a request for God to meet our needs is an expected thing to find in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts is an expected thing to find in a prayer, Christian prayer. Praying that his will would be done, I think, is an expected thing to be found in a prayer like this. But this morning I would like to talk about three things, in my opinion, which are unexpected and surprising. The first one of these three is that the prayer starts with a prayer for the hearts of mankind to realize who God is. That's basically what hallowed be your name is all about. God already knows he's holy and so do the angels. It's mankind which fails to grasp who God is and what he's like in his holiness. But there's no indication as to which particular part of mankind we're supposed to be praying this prayer for. Which means that the prayer is designed to be broad and to have a number of different applications. First, it's a prayer for ourselves that we would grasp God's holiness. Second of all, it's a prayer for our loved ones that they would grasp God's holiness. It's a prayer for Christ's people around the earth that they would grasp God's holiness. And finally, it's a prayer for the whole world that their eyes would be open to see the holiness of God. The Lord's Prayer does not include a request. It does not include a a lot of things. It doesn't include a request for world peace. It doesn't include a request to find a cure for cancer or disease. It doesn't include a request that God would solve human hunger or poverty. But at the top of the list of petitions is a prayer that the name of God would be made holy in the minds and hearts of people. That's telling. I know that for some people, this is not just surprising, it's disturbing. It seems messed up. But according to Jesus, and according to the Bible, mankind grasping who God is, is the most important thing of all. Now this doesn't make sense if life if this life is all there is. It doesn't make sense if this world is our true home. It doesn't make sense if dying is the end of our story. But this life isn't all there is. And this world is not our true home. And dying isn't the end of the story. What happens in eternity 
is all important. And what God says is the ultimate truth. But this petition shows us that as human beings, we are profoundly blind. That our deepest problem is not anxiety or poverty or injustice. Our deepest problem is blindness. We go around dusting and rearranging the knickknacks of our lives, but miss the elephant in the room. And the elephant is God. And the thing we need most of all is not to be healthy or prosperous or have our earthly needs met. Our biggest need of all is to have the eyes of our hearts opened to see him as the holy God. Our disposition toward him and toward his son makes all the difference in the world. It's the one thing that really matters. And so we pray, make your name holy, O Father. The second surprising thing about these six petitions is how God's forgiveness is tied to our forgiveness of others. You know, praying for God's forgiveness, of all these petitions, there's only one that's conditional. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven also our debtors. This implies that we can't pray this prayer if we haven't forgiven those who have sinned against us. And then to reinforce the point, and mind you, this is not the last of the six petitions, it's the fifth of the six petitions. And yet, after he's done, he goes back and he reinforces number five. It's not just that something's on his mind, you know, as he finishes his prayer, and therefore he wants to elaborate on that. No, he goes back because he wants to re-emphasize something. To make sure, because it, it sort of sounds off. To make sure we get it. And so he goes back after the prayer's over, and he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verses 14 and 15. And I mentioned earlier that in Luke 11, there's a slightly abridged version of the Lord's Prayer. And in that version, the petition, the fifth petition, it's not the fifth in Luke, it's the fifth from Matthew, because they leave out one or two. The petition goes like this, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So it's reiterated there as well. And then Jesus reinforces this powerfully in the parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember that parable, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. 
So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned in order to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me. I will pay it all. His master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. But then when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will repay it. But his creditor would not. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called then in the man and the king then called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. Jesus then says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So it, it's clear as day. God won't forgive us if we won't forgive others. Now, we need to realize how unique this is. You know, take two sins that are, are treated as really big sins and given special attention in the Bible. Let's take murder and sexual immorality. Well, the Bible condemns them frequently and, and describes them in very vivid terms as, as being evil. And yet, the Bible never says that if someone commits those sins, he won't be forgiven. And we even have examples of people who murdered and who committed sexual immorality and yet were forgiven by God. King David did both and was forgiven by God. What's going on here? Does Jesus really, really want it? Does he just want, really want us to be forgiving? Well, it sounds like salvation by works, doesn't it? If we forgive, God will forgive us. If we don't forgive, God will not forgive us. It sounds like forgiving is the only work that really matters to God. Well, obviously, Jesus does really care about us being forgiving. But it's bigger than that. So how can we explain this? Well, the point is this. If we can't forgive someone who sins against us, it means we've not yet grasped the depths of our sins against God. If we are unaware that our sins against God are vastly greater than anyone else's sins against us, then we have not yet come to grips with the grace of God. 
We think God forgives us because our sins are modest. They're plain. They're understandable. They're not over the top. They're not blazing. They're not Hitler-esque. We think forgiveness is for misdemeanors, not for felonies. He can forgive us because our sins are forgivable. And the way we view our own sin is reflected in the way that we view our neighbor's sin against us. So if we can't forgive, how can we expect God to forgive us? The third surprising thing about this prayer is that it includes a strong repudiation of the status quo. A strong repudiation of things as they are around us. In the words, thy kingdom come. Far from praying that God would maintain our lives and our homes as they are, Jesus urges us to pray that God would radically disrupt our world and bring his kingdom to it. What is the kingdom of God? Well, a kingdom is a nation that has a king. God's kingdom is that nation where Christ is king. All of us who belong to Christ are citizens of God's kingdom. And everything we own and everything we have authority over becomes part of his kingdom and under his kingly rule. And his kingdom extends as far as he is honored as king. So there are at least four ways that we want as Christians his kingdom to come. We want his kingdom to come more fully in our own hearts. We want his kingdom to come more profoundly to his church. We want his kingdom to come to this world in the sense more people coming to honor the Lord as their king. And we want, finally, the king to return to this earth and set up his kingdom in its ultimate form. And so all those are included in this prayer, this petition, your kingdom come. But in all four, we're asking for the status quo to be disrupted. Now obviously, disruptions of the status quo aren't the same thing as his kingdom coming. But his kingdom coming always involves the disruption of the status quo. So why am I making such a big deal about the disruption of the status quo? Well, it's because we don't like change. It's very easy to want this world to be our home. It seems to me that a lot of the prayers of Christians is basically prayer that God would maintain the status quo. We want our lives to stay the way they are. And I'm one of you. I do the same thing. We want our church to stay the way it is. We want our country to stay the way it is. And we want to remain young. 
Though we don't have the boldness to pray for that because we know that's not going to happen even if we pray and then we just feel guilty about praying for it. But God's kingdom doesn't come to keep everything the same. And God's kingdom doesn't come by everything staying the same. I think one example of this is how Christian people have reacted in our society to the COVID pandemic over the last two years. In my ears, I've heard very little thought among Christians about how the Lord might use this to bring his kingdom and many expressions of the desire to just be done with it and get back to life as it was enjoyed before. Thy kingdom come is a recognition that the world we live in is a mess. And there's a desperate need for radical change. A change only God can bring. And this mess isn't COVID. And it isn't climate change. And it's not war. And it's not politics. And it's not culture. The mess this world is, the mess this world is in, comes from a mess that exists in every human heart. Each of us, in our hearts, have dethroned the king of the universe. And until that king is properly put back where he belongs, on the throne of our hearts, not only will the mess continue, but it will become messier. And when we cry out to God, Thy kingdom come, that's what we're praying for. We are praying that our knees and the knees of others would bow before Jesus Christ and that He would be enthroned as our King. The Lord's Prayer is much more than a nice, useful tool to help us to pray. The Lord's Prayer teaches us about God and about ourselves. The Lord's Prayer shouts the glory of God and man's desperate need for Him. But the Lord's Prayer also drips with the love and kindness of God and of his readiness to help his people to protect them, to forgive them when they humble themselves before him. Let us pray. We praise you, O Lord, for your care for us, for your willingness to help and dear Lord, we thank you that you've given us the Lord's Prayer and for all the ways that it provides us with guidance and instruction, not only about excuse me, prayer, but about who you are and who we are. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to become people more skilled at prayer, and more committed to prayer. We pray that these petitions 
would not just be something that we say at church every once in a while, but that they would resound in our hearts and be the cry of our souls. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.